Tips for getting into speedrunning. Any tips with how to start with speedrunning games? In general, you want to speedrun a game that you already like mechanically. Something that brings you satisfaction to do. Like you enjoy Dark Souls, you know, rolling around and stuff. Speedrunning a game is of course very different from playing casually and is quite repetitive. So you've got to find more enjoyment in the game than simply like liking the story or liking the environments and stuff. Because you're going to see those environments and you're going to see their story a bajillion times. You've got to find satisfaction with the mechanics and improving at them and learning more about the game as a whole. And if you have a game like that, then uh, all you need to do is go find the world record and take a look. Try to replicate it. Find what information exists on how to speedrun the game and just do it. Talk to the people who've already done it. Join the community. GTA Online's difficulty balance problem. Do you like the new Franklin Lamar memes and the recent update? Yeah, I do. My biggest complaint, as I say, with the newest update is the gameplay. So when you look at things like Fortnite, it can easily, well, I mean, not easily, but it can create circumstances where people who are more experienced can have difficulty and, and challenge and stuff. And they can have new people also have difficulty and challenge and stuff. They have their own problems, like making so people don't get crushed in their first few games and quit playing. But by the nature of the game, in that difficulty is created by your opponents, the difficulty can constantly scale with whoever's playing. GT Online can't do that. Even in the mini games, there's no MMR system, right? But for the gameplay itself, the story elements and stuff, the, the missions, the missions have to be able to be done by a person who just started playing and a person who's been playing for the last eight years. And the gameplay has got to be equally satisfying to both. That's impossible. So what you end up getting is something where like the average person is potentially going to be satisfied. So people who are high levels of experience are going to be like, this is fucking easy. Why am I even doing this? And people at lower level of experience are like, man, this is, this is quite, quite tough. I'm not sure I can get through this. Me playing any of the online stuff, I have to turn off my brain and just run into hallways blind to have any possibility of dying or experiencing some fail or whatever. And certainly when you're making content for YouTube, you don't want to just mindlessly succeed. You want things to go wrong. Like people will be like, oh, how did he fail this? Because I'm not being careful intentionally. And certainly it's fun to just run through and not really give a fuck. And if something goes wrong, just to adapt to whatever goes wrong, right? And when we sitting there like, 10,000 IQ planning out every room to make sure I don't suffer any negative repercussions. Not only would that be boring, but it wouldn't be very fun. When I play games, I don't play to optimally do the best. I play them for fun and to potentially make good content. To bring it back to what I was saying before, I don't find GT Online challenging in the overwhelming vast majority of the base gameplay. And the general content that they make is just very stale to me. And it sucks due to the nature of it being peer-to-peer -peer and not having servers or whatever. All the kind of competitive things you can do with other players is also tainted because, like, you can shoot a person with a shotgun point-blank in the face and it will do no damage. Everyone's laggy and jumping all over the screen. And that excludes the issue of mod menus. It's just, like, a GT Online has, has problems. I will, I will always say, though, that it can never be a good game until it's not peer-to-peer. Any game of that scale that is peer-to-peer -peer is bad and can never not be bad. Racing is not bad unless you have huge because at that point, you aren't really in direct moment-to-moment -moment competition most of the time. 
you're more, at least most of the time, uh, versing other people in time trials. You could hypothetically all be racing on separate tracks for most of it, and it won't make a difference. I think that's a little harsh. P2P has a lot of potential. I think it just requires a lot more effort to get right, which is an issue because, as we know, AAA studios hate effort. No, I don't think you can do it. Without a centralized hub, it's never going to be possible that endless different communications all happening between endless different points all over the world, it, it, it's, just, it's just never going to be good. You're always going to introduce lag and glitches because you're, you're balancing so much. Everything being fed into one central hub and then fed back is, uh, is a, it's just a much better system. Especially in shooters, where <laughs> the second-to-second -second gameplay is, uh, is important. Like, if you're doing some turn-based strategy game, I mean, security issues aside, sure, go peer-to-peer. -peer. Or, like, if there can be, like, a full two-second delay and it not matter, like, you play in chess. You don't, you don't, uh, well, I mean, yeah, chess is 1v1, so that's not as big of an issue. Yeah, I mean, si simple games or things where, like, there's a huge delay naturally built into the game. I've only played GT Online on console, and it's always been fun. However, I have pretty much always played with friends. So, if you are waiting for a bus, that can be fun with friends. The right friends, just cracking jokes, having a time of your life, people you really drive with, waiting for a bus can just fly by, you know? That's just the power of friendship. The power of no worries, just hanging out. That says nothing about the game if in those circumstances it's enjoyable. Because with the right people, watching paint dry can be enjoyable. Have you ever seen like a really bad movie that if you watched it yourself, it'd be like god awful? With friends just joking, taking the piss out of the movie, it becomes hilarious. Does Mr. Beast make the best content on YouTube? Mr. Beast is the best YouTuber, change your mind? It's all in the eye of the beholder. I would trade literally every single Mr. Beast video that has ever been made for one video made by Summoning Song. Any of them, even his early ones. I have never watched a Mr. Beast video and been like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I like this side. Mr. Beast's videos that he makes are have massive broad appeal. Things that broadly appeal are not necessarily the best content. Like if you've ever seen like the movies that are coming out right now, where don't want to take any risks, they want some known established thing that works that will appeal as broadly as possible. That's Mr. Beast content. You aren't ever going to be, like, blown away necessarily. I mean, some people are, certainly. But you're never going to end the video and be like, man, I wish I hadn't watched that video, you know? Depending upon who you are and what you're interested in, other content can be you're way more interesting and impactful to you. Mr. Beast is the marvel of YouTube? Yeah, I guess. Sure. Why does something so take so long to upload? He... Didn't do it full-time until recently? I saw him talking somewhere about him going full-time. Uh, but also, like, it, it takes a lot of research and efforts to um, create that kind of content. Mr. V's videos is not my thing, but I can see why people like it, but I personally don't think it's for me. I, I assure you, if you sat down and watched a video, you're not gonna hate them. They're, they're a bit over the top for me as well. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit if a person gets a Ferrari. I, I don't give a shit if a person gets 10 grand. The stakes are also a bit wonky because you, you know someone's getting some money, you know? And they're just random people. If random person A or random person B gets a lot of money, you know?
The frustrations of never being able to experience another person's mind. It is sometimes weird thinking of my life. I think I remember less of my life in rich detail compared to other people. Because you never get to experience another person's like inner world, you don't know how similar the way their brain works is to your own. I mean, you assume to some degree it's similar, of course, because you you both navigate the insane environments and you're, you know, you're the same species, so. I mean, I, I watched a video recently where a dude was like, uh, yeah, I have no inner monologue. And I've talked about this before, where, um, like, I can, I can speak to myself in my head, but some people can't. So when, like, this guy wants to read stuff, he will, like, read it and, like, mumble it out loud to himself. And because that's just the way he processes things. So I can, like, have a conversation with myself. And yeah, like, internally. But some people can't do that. Sometimes I don't think about how my mind is working. And then when I do, like, I question whether my mind was working that same way before I started thinking about it. So, like, when I'm reading stuff, I don't know if I'm reading the words to myself in my head or... I only do that when I start trying to pay attention to what my brain's doing. See, reading this now, it's it, it's as if I'm thinking about the words, but I don't think that's what I always do. I think I only do that when I focus on it. I think when I'm just reading to myself, I'm uh, my brain just processes the words without any kind of inner in monologue. Seems overthinking a conversation. You talk so fluidly until you start thinking too hard. Yeah, I guess. Because it all just flows naturally and then, yeah. The brain is an interesting thing. I've mentioned it many times, like, my inability to remember tastes and smells still bothers me. But I feel blessed that I can, I can literally just play a movie in my head, you know? Like, visually. I can be looking at this stuff, taking it in, at the same time I could, like, envision the beginning of prologue, hear Michael speaking in my head, and then I can, like, change it so that he dives through and shoots, like, dives through the glass and shoots everyone. And that's easy for me. But I can never add a smell or a taste to anything that I show in my head. I just can't do it. When I try to think about what a Big Mac tastes like, even though I've had hundreds, can't do it. I know what a Big Mac, its texture is. I can remember texture. I can remember temperature. I can remember if I was satisfied with the meal or not, but I cannot for the life of me envision the taste until I bite into it. And then I can tell you whether that tastes like a big, whether what I'm eating is a Big Mac or not. It's just such a strange thing for me never to have realized until I'm like, almost, I was almost 30 when I realized. It is justifiable to believe false things. You know what's a weird thing, chat? It is justifiable to believe false things. Imagine you're in a cult, right? And everyone in that cult believes that the moon is made of cheese. I mean, it seems stupid, the idea of the moon being made of cheese, right? But imagine like every single book in your environment said it was made of cheese. You went to school and every person in any respected position of authority said the moon was made of cheese. They were like the, the logic internally made sense. They just gave cheese additional properties that made, they say this is a special form of cheese so that it doesn't decay. Or either that or they say out in space, things don't decay like they do on earth. All the logic made sense. Every single person of authority, anyone who might, you know, people say they've gone to space and they've, they've tested it, I swear. Of course, in that situation, it's entirely justified to believe that the moon is made of cheese. Every, like, every single thing, every source of information is communicating that, and you have no way of determining otherwise. And I just think sometimes, like, there will be so many coincidental things like that for our lives, where just coincidentally, 
maybe not intentionally whatever, but like we've just experienced a variety of things in our environment that has justified to us to believe false things. Each one of us feels our, ourselves entirely justified in believing, you know, a variety of things that are actually false. And that's just coincidentally how our interactions with the environment have uh, led us to make those conclusions, you know? The silliness of the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect referring to a situation where a large mass of people all collectively have a false memory of something. Some people attribute these false memories in various ways to alternate realities that are somehow bleeding into our own. Whenever you're trying to think up an answer to a problem of some kind, right? Generally speaking, you should lean towards things that you can demonstrate and or repeat. So like, we have endless evidence of people coming to false conclusions, but we don't have any evidence of additional realities or universes existing and things coming from those realities into this one. Like, you've got something that is potentially the most established thing in the world, that the human brain sucks sometimes. And I don't know why, given this, things, this explanation's ability to explain the phenomenon that you're trying to explain, why we, you would move beyond it. Why would you reach for things that you can't establish to exist and you don't even have a mechanism by which, well, you don't have a tested, proven mechanism by which it could even do what you think it's doing. So it's like, how would things slip from one universe to another? Mm -hmm. Why would that be a thing that happens? Mm -hmm. Why would it be random bullshit stuff? Like the names of things. Mm -hmm. Why would universes close to ours be fairly indistinct from our universe, except for tiny changes like a singular letter or the name of something? Mm -hmm. you, you just don't need, you don't need that additional baggage to explain the phenomenon you're experiencing. It's not just a letter. Oh, in some cases it is though. As in like some cases like, what is it like? Bernstein bears versus Bernstein bears, I think is one of them, for example. Each one of us, every moment, is uh, reinterpreting and changing the memories that we've made from the past, based on our understanding that we develop now. An additional problem with the Mandela effect or whatever is uh, that not everyone remembers that thing that way, you know? You've just got a small portion of people who remember things differently. I think on some level, people just don't want to accept the, uh, the fallibility of their brains, you know? The Mandela Effect is only a popular theory because it's the type of thing that YouTubers sensationalize views. Yeah, I mean, some people like conspiracy theories in general or whatever, right? I mean, sure, yeah, I guess things that you can sensationalize for views are gonna get popular or whatever. But I suppose things that you can sensationalize for views are probably things that are already popular. So it's a feedback loop. They're popular, and so it's worth making videos about them. You make videos about them, so they become more popular. And because they're even more popular, you can make videos about them, and it goes around and around and around, you know? Is that a feedback loop? I think it's a feedback loop, right? Hearing different news than family because of different sources. Sometimes it's weird to see that news I heard is completely different with the news that my mum heard because of different sources. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes, actually, with my mother. As in, I will... I'll ask her, so what have you heard about this? Like, I almost don't care what's true. I care, like, my mother being in her 50s or whatever, watching more mainstream sort of sources, what she's picking up on, on uh, about the situation. Take, for example, so the Premier of New South Wales recently got investigated for corruption 
No, nothing's proven yet. It's just an investigation started. By an independent ICAC, which, what's, what's ICAC mean again? Well, in, independent corruption, some, I don't know. Independent commission against corruption. Yeah, so an ICAC is basically like, it's set up to be independent from the government and it's meant to look at the government and be like, hey, hey, hey what's going on here? That's that's weird. We need to we need to look at this. And then it makes, it investigates stuff and makes recommendations to the government as to whether charges should be brought down and all that stuff. And so the ICAC announces, or this our state ICAC announces that they're investigating our premier. And for everyone who just watched the mainstream news, they were like, oh, how can they do this? She's she's a perfect premiere. She's the greatest fucking person alive. What what the fuck is this? The ICAC has lost its way or whatever. But everyone online is just like, yeah, of course, because she's very corrupt, that politician. I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner, you know? And so, like, I'm at a family gathering, and one of my aunts like, oh, they're treating her wrongly. Oh, I can't, can't believe they're, they're investigating for her corruption. She's a wonderful premiere, best we've ever had. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I've heard the complete opposite, you know. It's funny because like the day before corruption, the, the corruption investigation, like uh, there was this big spread about her being an inspirational woman, for, you know, and, and a wonderful premiere and stuff. Like to the nanosecond and even after uh, the investigation came down, the mainstream media was like, oh, she's the greatest person ever. But uh, I, mean, I could get into specifics, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Can true impartiality be achieved in media? If you want some really good media deconstruction, check out the podcast, No Agenda. I'd be interested to what degree. What was that? What was it? There was a survey that asked people about reporting. And they were like, is it biased to report this thing that is bad about this person, even if it's true? A non-insignificant number said yes. I wonder how often even these reportedly non-biased publications, when they just report things that are factual, that go against other people's way of perceiving the world, or that are negative towards their favored uh, political party or politician, they're like, nah, this must be bias. These people must actually be biased because that's, that can't be true. Because I, I think this is a phenomenon that exists. And then I wonder how, how much of these non-biased publications are simply trying to um, sanitize the news and the world so there's nothing overtly damaging or harmful like something that is bad for someone they'll be like well we gotta downplay this as much as possible to prevent people who like that person from being offended or whatever you know depends on what is being reported if they report that ex-politician didn't donate to an orphanage then there is definitely a bias oh true volker yeah i mean i guess it depends on how the question was asked. But it's certainly possible, for example, for you to um, to be biased in your reporting in that you you just report bad things, even if true, and ignore good things that are also true. It is possible in this world to say nothing but truths and have a person come away with a false impression of the world. Lying is almost the lazy way of tricking a person, you know? You can easily trick a person with nothing but truth. I feel there's no punishment or penalty for faking news or having extreme biased opinions reported to stop it happening. But there is. I mean, mainstream publications have the ability to be sued when they say bullshit. Because they have a lot of money and it's worth the time. Certainly, not everyone has money to sue these people. But there are ethics and news standards that mainstream media publications have to abide by. Or they can be brought up um, and reprimanded and all that jazz. But... 
to what degree you think these things are deterrents, I, I, well, I can't say. But, for example, Fox News is currently being sued by Dominion because of all their, um, frankly, lies about um, the election or whatever, right? And Dominion is apparently currently winning, so Fox News might end up having to pay through the nose because of how much damage they did to uh, Dominion's brand by, uh, by knowingly lying. But that's the problem. Like, in, in general, it's not a matter of the media lying. It's if you have a story that comes up and then you report all the facts on it, but you want people to perceive the facts in a particular way, you just go to talking head number four that you know has this particular opinion or has been fed to say particular things. Like, like they're selected because of what they're going to say. And then you just talk to them and they present their opinion as basically facts. And even if they're not saying this is facts, even if they're saying this is my opinion, whoever's watching will remember that opinion just as much as they remember the facts. And it will color how they see things. Selective reporting and uh, being selective in who you talk to is enough to massively skew how people see the world. You don't have to openly lie most of the time. As I say, lying is just a lazy way to do things. Be sure to like the video and subscribe. Also remember, comments are shown to me chronologically for my entire channel, meaning regardless of how old the video, your comment will still be shown to me in my feed. So leave one if you have something on your mind.